0: working uh, Pastor Nick like a, like a slave lately so we, we, he's been writing a book uh, uh, it's called Blueprint it's actually got a neat subtitle uh, but I can't think of it right now but um, in September everybody in the church is going to be involved in a six week um, sermon study that was also going to be le- linked to our small groups and uh, Nick has been writing this all on his own and so uh, he's been doing double duty. So he preaches and then all work all week he's working in his study trying to write this book. So this Sunday he's got the day off, but next Sunday he'll be back here in, uh, in the pulpit. So be praying for, for him and, and the staff as we put the final touches. We've still got quite a bit of work actually to do on this new series, but we're excited about how we can help you understand how our Connect, Grow, Serve ministry model um, can um, propel us into Christ's work and, and, and allow God to use us even more so in the months and years ahead. Um, this morning, we are going to be looking at the book of Habakkuk. We're going to continue in the Gospel Through the Bible series. And um, Habakkuk is a, an interesting book. He, it is considered to be, Habakkuk is considered to be one of the minor prophets, not because his message is not uh, critically important, but because we have more limited information on Habakkuk as we do on Daniel or Isaiah. Um, so this morning, I'm going to start by reading from the book of uh, Habakkuk, Uh, you can read along with me. If you turn in your Bibles to page 1456, I'm going to read chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 4, Habakkuk, page 1456 in your pew Bibles. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build up earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. O oh Lord, you are, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O oh Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O oh Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? you made men like fish in the sea like sea creatures that have no ruler the wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks he catches them in his net he gathers them up in his dragnet and so he rejoices and is glad therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food is he to keep on emptying his net destroying nations without mercy. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time it speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous will live by his faith. Habakkuk is uh, one of those Old Testament books That has one of those famous coffee mug postcard uh, greeting card statements right Uh, the the kind that nick talks about when he talks about jeremiah i know the thoughts that i think towards you well this is in that same kind of vein write the vision and make it plain on tablets he may run who who reads it to the card recipient the coffee card holder the one who looks at it this 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 particular text has taken on legendary meaning it means that your your life that your your family and your business ought to be directed by a vision statement the statement ought to be clearly articulated it ought to be shared with everyone Um, even if you don't believe in the bible you can leak on to this. If you are an, an aspiring achiever, if you've got big dreams, Habakkuk 2, 2 through 3 is for you. It says to you, keep, keep in pursuit of your dreams. It says to you, don't let anything stop you. It says you can make it. The problem is that that interpretation is not what the statement meant to Habakkuk when he received it, as an answer to a very specific prayer request that he had made to the Lord. To Habakkuk, the prophet of God, to the people of Judah, this was a very specific command. It was a commandment and a proclamation about a wicked nation that God was about to judge. The vision was a statement of five woes, five particular sins that the Babylonians were guilty of, for which they were going to be utterly destroyed. God wanted Habakkuk to remember this because its time was, it was going to occur in a distant time, a few years down the road. It would occur in Habakkuk's lifetime, but not immediately. He wanted Habakkuk to remember it, to have faith in it. And he wanted Habakkuk to tell the people in in Judah so that they would remember this. Because the people in Judah were going to go through some times like they had never seen before. But even in that, God wanted to give them a message of hope. This morning, God wants to give us a message of hope. He wants us to understand How to trust Him in the midst of difficult times. How to trust Him when you're going through things that you may not even understand. So this morning, my goal is to help you strengthen your faith. And for those of you who may not have placed your faith into Christ, who may not have uh, believed God, my goal is to help establish faith in you. I want to do that via four things that we're going to see from Habakkuk. First of all, I want you to see that God does not mind you asking him life's tough questions. God doesn't mind you asking the tough questions. Second, God requires faith in those who serve him, every one of us. One of the main requirements of our God is that we trust him. Thirdly, that God continuously takes action to maintain his sovereignty over creation. He's in control, always has been, always will be. And the fourth, that God grants joy to the righteous, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. So these are the four things that we can learn from the book of Habakkuk, that can help strengthen our faith in God. So the first point is God is not afraid of our difficult questions. Habakkuk is a prophet in Judah during a time when when the first verses in Habakkuk 1 say that there is violence, there is injustice, there is strife, there is conflict, it's rampant. All he sees all day long is wickedness with no end in sight. So he cries out, he says, God, do you see? He says, God, do you care? He says, God, are you going to do anything about it? And we don't know precisely when Habakkuk ministered. We know that he was going to see the judgment. It says that to us in verse 5. God says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe. I'm raising up the Babylonians. So we know that the, the judgment was going to occur in his days, but we don't know precisely when the judgment came we know that uh, manasseh was a wicked king and it was said of his particular reign that during his time there was idolatry was rampant and that there was so much sin in the land that they said the blood of the innocent flowed in the streets In fact, it was during Manasseh's reign that the first decree that God was going to totally wipe out out Judah came. It was during Manasseh's wicked reign. We also know that after Manasseh, there was another wicked king that was just like his father for a very brief time. And then Josiah had had instituted reforms and it was a righteous time. I don't think that that God spoke to Habakkuk during Josiah's reign. But then after that, just a succession of wickedness until the very last king of Judah, King Zedekiah. Zedekiah. In 586, um, all of Judah was carried off except a remnant. The, the, the temple was destroyed. All the articles of gold and silver were carried over to Babylon at the very end. My best guess is that it would probably occurred sometime in about 607, 596, during Jehoiakim's reign is when he wrote. I say that because about that time it was clear that Babylon was a world power. They had taken over from Assyria. They were branching out and collecting nations. But to be honest with you can't be dogmatic about that. What we can be dogmatic about is this, Habakkuk wrote during a time of great injustice. It was highly troubling and God told him specifically what he was going to do. He was going to punish Judah. He was going to send on them a nation more wicked than themselves. Now when Habakkuk got this message, he was more troubled than he was with the first question. So the first question was, what's going on in Judah? How is this going to stop? And God gave him an answer. I'm going to send the Babylonians. And then he began to think about the Babylonians. Lord, they're more wicked than us. I'm really confused now. One of the things I want you to recognize is that God does not mind at all us asking those difficult questions. What's interesting about this text is he's never insulted at all. He never tells Habakkuk to watch it, he never challenges him, he accepts his questions, he gives an answer. But God does want us to be prepared that the answer may trouble us. About 15 years ago, I asked God such a question. I uh, was a a younger dad, Uh, my wife, uh, we had two small kids at home. I was living in Illinois, which is where I was from. And uh, for the three straight years up, leading up to this point in my life uh, things were just going great. My business uh, as a sales management, my income was going 20% a year. Man, I love sales. I love being paid on commission. Man, of course, if you have unlimited income, it was just awesome. Things were going great. I was making a boatload of money. I bought my dream house, a 3,500-square-foot house, beautiful, okay, three-car garage, finished basement, 1,500 extra feet in the basement, two brand-new cars, Listen, I was rolling, okay? And then, and then I got a call, in. there are 200 guys in the company, 200 people in, in our company, an American family, that were in this job I was at, sales manager, right? And they called us all to, the com- to, to a meeting in the headquarters. I knew that was bad news. And then, the, and then the president got up, okay? And he said, listen, folks, we've been studying your income. You guys make entirely too much money, right? He, he didn't say it with a joke either. He had stone faced. Long story short, he said, he, he gave us all this packet. It was the message of doom. <laughs> Over five years, this packet showed my income was going to go down 50 percent. Now, uh, two months prior, I bought this new home, these two new cars, and my wife had stopped working, okay? So I'm on my driving back home from Madison to Gurney, where I lived, okay? And my jaw is dropped. Uh, I'm, my wheels are spinning. I don't even want to tell my wife this news. I mean, she's going to divorce me. No, was going to be that bad, but <laughs> she wasn't going to be happy. It was going to be, I said, oh, what am I going to do? And uh, a good buddy of mine who I had brought into American family had got promoted one level ahead of me, and he was in charge of sales operations in St. Louis. Uh, his name was Dave, Dave Carter. And Dave and I talked, and I was like, Dave, what? He said, Lloyd, here's what you need to do. You need to come and work for me. You took care of me, when when I came to the company, I'm gonna take care of you, you come over here, I'm gonna make sure your income stays where it is. Same job, you just gotta come to St. Louis. I was like, Lord, you're so good, this is awesome. All I gotta do is just move to St. Louis. Well, here's the problem. The reason I had moved from just outside of Chicago in Westchester, an hour away, to the Wadsworth you're in the area was because I was active in church. I was the associate minister there. I was one of their associate ministers. Had a large amount of responsibility. And I had two young kids, and my wife needed help with, with, from her mom. So that's why I moved, right? And so that hadn't changed. The only thing that changed was my work situation had changed. So here's what I did. I went to pray on it and I, I said, God, I know you're going to, you're going to co-sign on my plan, right? God, you're going to, surely this makes perfect sense. You don't mean for me to take a pay cut, you, come on, Lord, right? And I remember being in the my, the, my bathroom, master bathroom, sitting on my throne room, the toilet, with my head, with my head in my lap. As I was struggling with Lord, the Lord, I was like, God, I don't have to take this pay cut. Lord, I could just go. I can just go. It's the same job. I, my, you know my boss is unsaved. He treats me bad. I don't even want to like to work for this guy. Lord, just let me go. And long story short, I really felt that God didn't want me to go. God wanted me to stay. And not only did he want me to stay where I was, he didn't even want me to look for a new job. So over the next five years, I watched my income slip away. And only looking back on it, after five years, what God did is he, he got me a new job here in Madison. So I moved from Wadsworth to Madison. My kids were a little bit older. The timing of it all made sense under his timing. And then shortly, you know, long story short, a few more years later, I'm in this job. Here's what God was teaching me during that period. God was teaching me that, he, that I needed to deny myself so that he could groom me and make me who he wanted me to be. He was more concerned about his ministry. He was more concerned about my character than he was about my career, about my prosperity. So you can ask God the difficult questions. You just have to be prepared that you might get an answer that you don't want to hear, an answer that has more to do about God's kingdom than about yours. The second part of this is that, uh, um, so the issue is, Habakkuk wants an answer to the second part of the question. How can you use a wicked nation like Babylon? as an instrument of of justice? I think the answer comes in two parts. The first part is verses four and five. This is the first part of God's answer to Habakkuk. He says to him, see, he, speaking of Babylon, is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by faith. Indeed, wine betrays him, speaking of Babylon. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave and, like death, is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Even when there is confusion and God's purposes and plans are not clear, the righteous have a responsibility to trust God even through that. Biblical faith is total reliance on God and total reliance on his word. It's faith that requires us to deny ourselves, to deny our feelings when they stand in the way of God accomplishing his purposes. Living by faith is mostly ordinary, everyday stuff. It's not dramatic stuff. It's typically not Abraham stuff. Leave where you are and and travel to Canaan. It's typically not stuff like that. Let me tell you the kind of stuff it's like. You're walking by faith when you read the Word or hear the Word of God and consider your own shortcomings and decide that you're going to put the Word in practice. Then you're walking by faith. You're walking by faith when you tell the truth, even when it means exposing your own sin. So those of you who have small groups and small cadres of folks, even when you have to wrestle with something in, in scripture and tell the truth when it means you, and you know you're not doing it, that's when you're walking by faith, when you can be transparent. You're walking by faith when you continue to give generously to the church, even when your personal finances get shaky and you're worried about your job, yet you're still giving generously to the work of church, the church, the work of the Lord. You're walking by faith when your spouse or children get deathly ill and you don't turn back from following God. As a pastor, one of the things that encourages me the most when I see saints who are going through their own life-threatening illness or life-threatening illnesses to the people around them, which can be worse. And they keep coming. They keep serving in ministry. They keep believing God. They pray for healing, but they don't get it. And not getting the answer that they want doesn't shake their their faith in Christ. That's walking by faith. (laughs) You walk by faith when you keep praying for lost people and telling them about Christ, even when it seems like nobody is responding. You keep witnessing at school. You keep witnessing in your neighborhood and you just can't, don't quite get, you keep praying for your lost brother or your lost sister some of us been praying for our our lost loved ones for 30 years but we keep praying that god will give them another year another opportunity to hear the gospel we keep thinking the next time that we visit with them over the holidays that they'll respond because we know our god is gracious and we know that he wants us to make disciples so we keep doing it even when we don't quite see the, the fruit we you're walking by faith When you serve in the local church, because you really believe the body of Christ actually does grow when every member does his share. You don't think that's just a platitude that's in Ephesians chapter four. You really believe that the body of Christ grows when we do our part. So God gives us the power to live by faith, but the decision to walk by faith is ours. God is not bothered by your tough questions. You can ask your tough questions. But he does require faith in his servant. Now, let's look at the second part of his answer to Habakkuk. The first part is you have to have faith. The second part is that God is maintaining his sovereignty over creation. God is the ultimate authority and ruler. In 2.6 through 2.20, that is what God tells them. He says to about, about Babylon, they're wicked among, uh, of all the nations. And he, he lists out six specific, five specific things that they're guilty of. At the end of it, he's going to wipe them out totally. And he's going to wipe them out because he is maintaining his control over creation. Did you know that, that even the righteous is going to be judged by God? Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14 says this, Solomon, who was said to be the, the most wisest person in the, the world, and he considered about all the things that uh, a person could do with their life. And he channeled all his wisdom towards one, one thing, you know, what, what should a person do under the sun? And he kind came to this conclusion now all has been heard been heard ecclesiastes 12 13 and 14. here is the conclusion of the matter fear god and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for god will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing whether it be good or evil what this means is that we need to be mindful of how we live This is what he told to Habakkuk at the very end of his statement in 2.20, he says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. What we do with our life matters. We're not free agents. We're not independent agents. God has judged people throughout the ages. Let's think about this. Think about what happened with Adam after his original sin. Think about what happened during Noah's time when he wiped out all creation except eight souls. God was judging humanity in real time. Think about Jerusalem, right? 586. The temple was totally destroyed. And then in Jesus, after Jesus' death in AD 60, uh, Jesus prophesied about this in his time, that the the blood would be so thick in the streets because they would not accept their creator. And then think about Ananias and Sapphira in in Acts chapter 5. They lied to the Holy Spirit and were struck dead. God has a long track record of judging wickedness. And he does this so that we would know what he's like. He is merciful he is full of love but he is right full of righteousness and truth This is what he wanted Habakkuk to understand Speaking of the Babylonians woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed who establishes a city by iniquity Behold, it is not of the Lord of hosts that the people labor to feed. Is it not of the Lord of hosts that people labor to feed the fire and the nations weary themselves in vain? In other words, he's saying that you can persist in wickedness if you want but it's all for naught. I'm going to deal with it in real time. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. One of the reasons I don't get too overly concerned about the wickedness going on in Ukraine, about them shooting their political leaders in the back, on the streets, about issues going on in Brazil, is that God has always judged the nations. He's always set things right in his time. I believe that was done in our own American history through the Civil War I believe that was done in history's context from the Bible I believe that's happening now it won't be just at the end that Christians will be judged and then the unrighteous will be cast in hell God actually judges in real time this is a real part of who he is he does this so that we would respect him that we would have awe of him For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So my question for you is, do you have a healthy respect for the glory of God? This past week I finished reading a book that my wife gave me, it's called Dangerous Callings. And it's particular, Derek and I actually have been talking about this book in our one-on-one meetings uh, the last few weeks. I've been telling him how I've been convicted by this book. And what it is about is about the kinds of traps and the problems that pastors have that if they don't deal with them, it can destroy their ministry. And since I'm just getting started, I'm just finishing up my first year in full-time ministry, I felt like this was a good time to read this, these warnings. Here's one of the main dangers, he points out, that pastors need to be aware of. What is the danger? It is that familiarity with things of God will cause you to lose your awe of God. You have spent so much time in Scripture that its grand redemptive narrative with its expansive wisdom does not even excite you anymore. Some of you have been a Christian 5, 10, 30 years, and there's no awe of God in your life. You wouldn't tell your friends that, but... You know it in your soul you just don't have the same enthusiasm for the things of god anymore you have spent so much time unpacking the theology of scripture that you've forgotten that it's end game is personal holiness we've come to church so many times that we think coming to church is about coming to church that it isn't about learning about what is right and applying it to our lives and growing in holiness and for pastors this is even worse we don't even preach the messages to ourselves so trip says the personal glories of being right of being successful of being in control of being esteemed of being secure often become more influential in the way that ministry is done than the awesome realities of the presence of god the sovereignty of god the power and the love of god we must not put our trust in plans and ministry strategies We must trust in the God of awesome glory, who is the head of the church we are endeavoring to lead. So I was reading this and I was thinking back about, you know, how sometimes I'll come to church and it's kind of like a business transaction. I'm just kind of doing, going through the motions. I'm not ready to worship. I'm not ready to hear a word from God. I'm, I'm not prepared to worship with Tony and Lisa and Sarah and Debbie and, and and these new young people that are I'm not ready to worship. I haven't been prepared to come in to fellowship with God and with the saints. And that will cause you to lose your awe and your respect for the things of God. So I wanna recommend three things. These things, since I've been reading this book for over a couple of months that I've been applying them, that will restore your respect, your love, your sense of the majesty of God. These things will restore that for you. Three things. The first thing is that you get familiar with the great Psalms of scripture that speak of the majesty and the glory and the love of God. And that you use these things, you read these, During the times that where you best commune with God, like for me, it was this morning at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm an early morning person. Some of you folks are evening people. However it is, early morning like me, 3 or 4 in the morning, or 6, 7, 8, 10, 12 at night, what I'm suggesting to you is... Make a habit of reading psalms like these and and meditating on what they mean. Psalm 145, 1 through five. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. Every day we should be praising God. In our quiet place to ourselves we should be thanking God for who he is we should be thinking about how we're going to tell God about to tell people the next generation about the things of God so today you have the fruits with young people teenagers from our youth band that were here praising God, leading you in worship. I hope that encouraged you. Derek and I have been talking about this since he got here, since August. We said, listen, we've got to figure out a way to make worship leaders out of our young people. And we talked about this with John back in August. We've got to figure this out. We're concerned that we're not raising up young people that know how to worship God, that are enthused about leading their peers and leading us in worship. We just, that's unimaginable that on our watch, we wouldn't have young people that know how to praise God. And so Tony has been working diligently with that group. They didn't sound as good when Tony started in August and September, they didn't sound that good. But now, through training and diligence and a lot of prayer, they're able to lead us in worship. They will speak of the glorious splendor. I mean, we want our young people to speak of the glorious splendor, to, to to experience some of that within the worship service, to see us for a teenager to see their peer can can, can can pray and can sing and can encourage the saints towards godliness. We need that to occur. And some of the challenge for us can come in these Psalms: Psalm 145, 1 through 5. Here's the one that got me. I was struggling, you know, trying to get myself ready to come to church one day, and I ran across Psalm 104, 33. This is my personal worship song, my personal worship text. My meditation, may my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. Every day when I get up and go about my day, the most routine, ordinary, just going to the office towards more splendid things, I want to reflect on God's goodness and I want to recognize that even if I get the worst news that day, I will be glad in the Lord. I know God too well, I know about His grace, I know about how He sustained me, I know Him so well, I will be glad in the Lord, come what may, come whatever the outward circumstance may be. So uh, what I'm saying to you is that we need to restore our own personal awe our own personal knowledge of the majesty of God. We've got to know God's great for ourselves. We can do that through our own devotional life. The second thing that we can do is we can do that through singing praises to ourselves. So you got up this morning, maybe you did a devotional. This morning, what I did is I uh, turned on YouTube. I'm not a good singer like Debbie. If, she, if she's up, I can listen to her and that'll get me going. But she's on, on a retreat with her sister this weekend. So I didn't have the benefit of that. This morning I went on YouTube and I listened to the Isaacs. The Isaacs are kind of a Southern gospel kind of group. They got Jewish heritage. They got an awesome Southern gospel song, sound. They sing this song, it is well with my soul. It's the old hymn. The third verse of the hymn goes like this My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Now, I can't sing that well, but then I got up out of my chair. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with our soul. What I'm saying is, it's got to be well in our souls, one-on-one with God. That we need to get into those psalms. Uh, Psalm 146 to 150 Psalm 100 to 107 these are great glorious psalms that will remind you of how awesome how glorious how majestic how holy how powerful our God is what I'm saying to you is you need that and I'm saying to you that you need to worship God for yourself I know you got a bad singing voice that's why you should do it in the wee hours in the morning when nobody can hear you remind yourself that it is well with your soul because of God the last thing is this you need to be reminded that, that and I'm convinced if that if you will make a habit of those two things, when we come together for corporate worship, you're going to be much better prepared. You're not going to come wondering if Pastor Nick is going to be able to get you charged up. You're not going to come wondering if Debbie or Sarah or Tony or or Greg are going to be able to. You're going to be enthused to come. You're going to be excited to come to worship God if you remember what the Psalms teach us about how we should come together to worship. Here's what the Psalms say really briefly. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise Him. So later on when Tony in the bag comes up and they do the closing song we should recognize that God inhabits the praises of his people come on talk back with me God is there with us in our praise that's one of the ways that we can experience heaven on earth is to out of the gladness and joy of our heart sing with praises to our God because we love him We need to recognize what the God says. He says in Psalms 100, very quickly, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. God desires for us to be in awe of him. To come into this sanctuary with a ex- sense of excitement, a sense of expectation that God is gonna do something new in our hearts, that I'm not gonna go out of this building the way I came in, that God is going to change me, something that's gonna connect with my spirit in such a way that I'm gonna be able to live this Christian life out better because I was here today and because I sang with the worship band and because I was at the ABF. That's the heart which you need to bring into the sanctuary so that you can go out transformed and full of joy. So we need to have our awe. We need to reclaim it. If you've lost it, like me, I'm turning 50 this year. I'm just gonna be honest. Sometimes it's like a ritual for me. I need to get out of that. It's not a ritual. It's a pleasure and a joy to come and worship God. And that's something I need to practice morning after morning. And I think you do too. Because then you can get to the place where you are like Habakkuk, where he got. When he recognized that he could ask God the tough questions when he got to the point where he recognized he needed to trust God, he really needed to have faith, even through this judgment that was gonna come through to Judah and then was also gonna be extended to the Babylonians, he needed to trust it. He needed to recognize that God was in control, that he was the one bringing out justice, meeting out justice where it needed to be meted out. Once he got that down, then he got to this place where he could do this. This is where it, it ends. This is the place where he got, at the conclusion. And I think what's happening here is he's thinking through what it's going to be like when the Babylonians, when the barbarians are at the gate, when they're just about to enter into Judah and, and do destruction, when the siege is already taking place. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls yet i will rejoice in the lord i will rejoice in god my savior the sovereign lord is my strength he makes my feet like the feet of a deer he enables me to go on to the heights in chapter 3 what Habakkuk does is he remembers how God has delivered Israel through time time and again and he remembers that God has always promised that he would protect his anointed and that he would protect his people even through judgment God intended that we that he would be our God that we would be his people he remembers Habakkuk 313 You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. I think he's talking about the the Messiah, Christ. You crushed the leader of the land of the wickedness. You stripped him from the head to the toe. What he's saying is, I remember, God, what you have done to preserve our people through David and his wickedness, through Solomon and his wickedness, through the various kings that came after them. Lord, you preserved them. Hezekiah, Joachim, you preserved us. And I think, God, you're going to preserve us forever. That's where he comes out. I think that's the message of Habakkuk. It's not about your own vision for your life that it's going to come to pass. It's about that through difficult times, through situations that you would rather not go through personally, God can pull you through. Dan Pinka is one of the men who works, who uh, comes to our church, and he works for InterVarsity. And uh, one day he was in the office, and he popped in my my office and threw this book on my table, um, on my desk. It's called uh, "Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. It's by Ruth Haley Barton, and it's about the the rigors of, of spiritual leadership. And uh, there's a story that I literally read just Saturday on my throne, in this, in my house in Verona. It's a story about how Martin Luther King dealt with issues around the Montgomery bus boycott. You remember, that's where Rosie Parks uh, wouldn't, wouldn't leave her seat on the bus and he was there to, to lead the people. He tells a story in a sermon called, "God is Our God is Able. This is a sermon excerpt, and I'll conclude with this. After the Montgomery bus protests had been undertaken, we began to receive threatening phone calls and letters. At first I took them in stride, but as the weeks passed, I realized that many of the threats were in earnest. I felt myself growing in fear. After a particularly strenuous day, I settled in bed at a late hour when the telephone rang. An angry voice said, "Listen inward. Listen inward. We've taken all we want from you. Before next week, you'll be sorry you ever came to Montgomery." I could not sleep. It seemed that all my fears had come down on me at once. I was ready to give up. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had almost gone, I determined to take my problem to God. May we do the same. I bowed and I prayed aloud. aloud. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I'm afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I've come to the point where I cannot face this alone. At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never before experienced him. It seemed as though I heard an inner voice saying, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth. God will be at your side forever. Almost at once my fears began to pass from me. The outer situation remained the same, but God had given me new inner calm. Three nights later, my home was bombed. Strangely enough, I accepted the word of the bombing calmly. My experience with God had given me strength and and trust. My experience with God had given me new strength and trust. I knew that God is able to give us the interior resources to face the problems of life. Brothers and sisters, I believe that Habakkuk is not a book about us writing a vision. It's a book about us enduring with God, trusting in him and his word through difficult times. That's what Habakkuk's message is for us today. I pray that that message will work in your spirit. And you might be in the midst of some of the worst, most difficult struggles, or you might be headed towards it. But this message for Habakkuk is for you. You can trust God even when things don't look good on the outside. You can bow your heads, please, and pray. Dear Lord, uh, Habakkuk is the kind of book with the kind of message that we don't like to really hear. Lord, it's a, it's, a, it's a book that speaks of your judgment. It's a book that shows us that you don't like sin. It's a book that says that, Lord, we might have to live through times that we never even imagined. It's a book that says, though, Father, that we can trust you. If we remember that you have always supported your people, that you will uphold your king, Lord, we can make it even in the darkest days. Lord, thank you for this message from Habakkuk. It's a short book, but it has a powerful message. May it work its way through our hearts and souls. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.